You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined again by Gene Henley. We're very excited here to bring you a, a semi-mailbag episode. We have some news and stuff we're going to talk about at the top of the show here. And we'll get into a couple questions that I asked for on Twitter. And a few of you were so kind enough to send in some questions. So thank you for that. We'll get to those in just a minute. Again, I want to say thank you all for tuning in this week. If this is your first time here, welcome into the show. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it, we're there. Subscribe to us today and leave us a review. I think since we last recorded, someone has left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because now we're up to five five-star reviews. So thank you so much to whoever did that. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to join them, you can do that and go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We would greatly appreciate that. Also on Twitter and Facebook at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. So go follow us and give us a like. Off the top of the show here, Gene, a couple former Vol stars in the NBA they want to get to. Eve Pons has officially signed with the Memphis Grizzlies. He's been playing with them in the Summer League. We talked about the Summer League, I think, last episode as it was about to begin and talking about you know Tennessee's players in the Summer League who has a chance outside of, obviously, Keon and Jaden of making rosters. Well, looks like in some capacity, Pons will be. And I want to talk about this with you briefly because I also want to mention that uh, <laughs> to me, the NBA has one of the more convoluted like contract structures in major professional sports in the U.S. Or maybe that's just me and I'm, I'm dumb and don't understand it. But I, with all these phrases thrown around with like the mid-level exception, the all this different stuff that I, I, when I was, you know, as a Celtics fan, I've kept up with because they've had so many weird different free agent signings and trades and stuff they've been having to do over the last few years and they're obviously not alone but it just to me it's hard to keep up I know what a two-way contract is and essentially it looks like that's kind of what Epons is going to turn into um, according to Chris Harrington who writes about uh, Memphis athletics actually I think just Memphis period Memphis college Memphis professional for the Daily Memphian uh, he, he writes about the Grizzlies NBA and whatnot uh, for them I think mostly he tweeted out uh, when the news came out that Pons was signing with Memphis. Said, As others have reported, this is an E10 contract, which is a de facto G League signing bonus, essentially. But that doesn't mean it doesn't get upgraded to a two-way contract before the season, which Chris says he guesses is a decent bet. So essentially, Gene, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I don't know we, that we actually really talked about this in the run-up to the show here. Essentially, this... <laughs> Is he? He's he's on the roster, yes, but he's and it, and it, and it could turn into a two-way contract, which is what you know Jordan Bone and I think Admiral Schofield also signed as second-round draft picks a couple years ago, where that essentially means a two-way contract is you have your NBA time capped at a certain time before the the NBA uh, the NBA team that has you has to start paying you more, so you can only appear in so many NBA games um, before I think you're. You know, you end up being due a, a bonus or a raise or whatever. Mostly, you're spending time in the G League. So, is that is that at that that's what Pons' thing could initially turn into is that two-way contract? But what is do you know what an E10 is and what exactly does this mean for for Pons and you know is his official standing in the NBA with the Grizzlies right now? 
Yeah, I've got some understanding. Uh, I think for for Vol listeners here, um, an Exhibit Ten contract is essentially it's exactly the same thing that Kyle Alexander signed two years ago, hmm. and basically what it does is that it's just it gives you it gives you a you know, a guarantee. You know, he's going to be paid, um, and it, it'll give him a chance to go to training camp with the Grizzlies and work out and then probably he'll probably end up at the memphis hustle who are the uh uh the the g league affiliate for uh, you know for the for the grizzlies but i think the uh, i think the bigger thing is that it's an opportunity and i think listeners would know that i was not very high on his nba prospects i also think I vaguely I may not have I'm pretty sure I said though you just never really know when it comes to the NBA because there's always somebody looking for a guy who can defend and you know like figure some stuff out like I think the biggest question with Eves will be can he become serviceable at some of these other skills traits can he become like potentially serviceable as a ball handler can he become potentially serviceable as a consistent shooter? Because he becomes, you know, like all jokes aside, he becomes PJ Tucker if he can just if he can shoot the basketball. And like that's no, I mean, he may not. I mean, at least on paper. Now PJ Tucker has a certain level of like there's some grown man in. PJ Tucker that does not that does not exist necessarily in Eves just yet. He could maybe grow into it. I'm not saying he can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but like that's something he's going to have to develop into. But I saw the block he had I think a week or so ago in one of the games, which was pretty impressive. Um, he's he has the ability to do some things that will allow him to hang around. But he's going to have to do more to actually make it beyond where he's at right now. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Uh, you know, But he's getting an opportunity. He's going to get paid $50,000 to be a part of it. Um, you know, and we'll see what he can do from there. Because... I say you can all all you can ask for is an opportunity. He's going to receive just that, and what he does is completely in his hands now. But again, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, and it's a, and not as a great opportunity, but he's going to be technically still in state. I know Memphis is like six hours from Knoxville, so it's kind of in a different state. <laughs> but it's I mean he's still in a in a Tennessee, you know, program I guess you can say. But it, it's it's still cool. And I know a lot of different. Uh, people here in Knoxville aren't huge NBA fans, but the ones that are here, a lot of them do end up rooting for the Grizzlies just because it's the you know, it's the in-state program. Just like a lot of people weren't into hockey until several years ago when the Preds, um, you know, went on their run and were good. And now you know you see a lot of Predator stuff in Knoxville because that's also closer in Nashville. But still, um, I think it's cool that it's the Grizzlies of all um, of all teams too. I think there's other maybe other teams out there that um, you know could be competing for a title sooner. But getting to possibly go play with John Morant with the the uh, the grit and grind kind of attitude from years ago, obviously, that Memphis has kind of adopted and established themselves with in the NBA, it just seems appropriate for 
pawns to go there. So yeah, it, like you said, he gets an opportunity. That's really cool. It's always, um, it's always really cool to see former Vol players get those opportunities and have a chance to go thrive and, and be hopefully successful in their professional ventures. Staying in the NBA here before we get to some questions. Another, speaking of a, a former Vol star in the NBA, Grant Williams, this isn't even about him on the court, technically, but he was named, the, or I guess voted actually by the, the players, as the new vice president of the NBPA, um, I think over the weekend or on Friday, what was it, August 7th, so that would have been, yeah, on Saturday uh, this past week. He was voted the NBA VP, there was a, you know, NBA PA VP, excuse me, um, he's joined the NBA PA Executive Committee alongside President CJ McCollum, uh, first VP Andre Iguodala, Harrison Barnes, the Secretary Treasurer, Bismack Biombo, another VP Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving, and Garrett Temple as other VPs as well. I think, yeah, and, and this is just so cool to me that a guy who's been in the league, this will be his third year, this his third season coming up this up this season. No, he's pretty young too because he was. I want to say he was only 20, like late 20s, maybe up to be 21 when he got drafted. Like he was still on the fairly young side of a three-year player in college. So he was, you know, not old. He's, he's still not old in the NBA. He's like a 23, 24-year-old 23, player up there. And he already has gained enough, like, trust and respect from his colleagues in the NBA to be voted the VP of the NBA PA, or NBPA, excuse me. I think it's really cool, Jen. He, he's not a guy. He's not a star. He's not a, a, a guy who's even playing 25 minutes a game or 20, or really even 20 minutes a game if you are looking at what he... 20 productive minutes a game, I guess you could say. He, he's not a guy that's going to wow you with what he does, but he's a hard worker. He's also very smart, obviously. But that's been, that was talked about a lot with his time at Tennessee. You know, him and Josh Dobbs always got mentioned on the broadcast for how smart they were, the, the family lineage, especially with uh, Grant having the, I think it's his mom that works at NASA, I want to say, if I remember that correctly. Um, this is just really cool. Like this, obviously this isn't, this is a little bit beyond basketball in a way, but it's still very obviously connected to basketball too. But you know, I, I was curious your thoughts on this because this is something that I, when I first saw it, obviously besides being, you know, I guess proud of Grant and just thinking this is really cool. I thought, I wonder if Gene's gonna think of this. Cause I bet, I bet like, I'm just curious your thoughts on it because I think this is really cool and I, I don't really, you know, I don't follow a whole lot with the NBA PA. Uh, and if you guys are wondering, it's the um, Nas National Basketball Players Association, you know, like the NFLPA. It's the Players Association for the NBA. So, like, it's an important thing, but I don't often think about it, you know, until there's, like, a, a big contract negotiation and there's talks of holdouts and whatnot. Like, you don't, I don't often think about the Players Association too much. But this is really cool to me. Like, I, I think this is a really cool honor. And Grant had talked about it. Um, I'll go find his tweets as long as they ha they weren't. Um, <laughs> as long as they haven't been buried at this point. Uh, but yeah, here we go. His tweets were, uh, since entering the league, I have wanted to be involved in and involved in the, wait, involved in and to contribute to the important decisions that impact our lives as players, both on and off the court. I am honored to be selected by my peers for this position and excited to join the MBPA executive committee. So Gene, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it, but I think that's really cool to me that Grant has this honor and he's been in the league for three years. If not even technically, I guess technically it hasn't been three years, but this is his third season going into the league right now. So like this is, that's just really cool to me that a guy like this at this age is, 
making waves and has earned the the respect of his colleagues to this degree already yeah it's it's a really good thing and um like if you look over the years i mean a lot of different guys um of all different ages mm-hmm. have been have been named um who've been given opportunities like i'm looking at uh i think this may have been the previous committee i'm pretty sure i've got a pretty good recollection of some of these names i see garrett temple enos Cantor, austin rivers uh i think the two that kind of the two that kind of stand out to me are jason tatum and uh jalen Brown, mm-hmm. uh andre godala malcolm brogdon and she said for danny green um like there's a there's a wide range of age there and i think that's it's good to have because you have to have i mean if you look the the previous president was chris paul who i believe is about to turn 37 years old if he's not already and um and so like i think the biggest thing is that he was able to get um you know, I think the fact that he was able to get the uh, the respect of the players to already be named the vice president um, is huge. It's huge. I mean, and obviously Grant does have connections in that league. He played for Chris Paul's AAU program, um, so he that's a person that's a person that you have um, now in your. Um, in your corner, I also will note that <laughs> vice president sounds better than it actually is because <laughs> not that he's in command. Andre Godal is first vice president, and then there right. are one, two, three, four, six vice presidents. So mm-hmm. it sounds good. I don't think there's a level lower than vice president from what I'm looking at. Actually, I'm sorry, Harrison Barnes is the secretary treasurer, and. So it sounds good, and I think the biggest thing is that you've got a guy here who is considerably, not considerably younger, because I don't think he's that much younger than Jalen Brown, but um, he's, you know, there's an age gap between him and some of the other people who are in there, and he's already gotten himself to a point before he even gets to his second contract um, to have a position. And let's call it what it is. It's probably not a bad thing that he's on the MBPA, that he's that, that he's involved there. Um, I think Grant is the type of kid, it's the type of guy who will find his way around the league um, for a while. I'm not sure how easy it's going to be for him to just. He's not going to be in high demand from, but this at least helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, this at least helps. I mean, like Grant is a very niche player for the NBA, for the NBA game. Um, that's no knock on him. That's just a reality. He's a six-six post player. Who, I mean, look, PJ Tucker had to find many routes. We just talked about Eve Ponds, guys that size. There was the Brown guy for the Brooklyn Nets, Bruce Brown or Bryce Brown or whatever, um, who was like six-four. He was playing post. Like that. Those are. You know, like the game is getting smaller, but the game, you know, like it's getting shorter in some spots and stretch fours and guys like that. Um, you know, they're wanted, but they also bounce around. CJ Crowder, 
you know, CPJ Tucker, all guys like that. Now, Grant can be in that realm, but he has to kind of stand out. Like I said, I don't think this hurts in that regard because Bisbeck Biombo has been banging around this league for a long time and got a big contract because of one playoff. And now here he is, one of the vice presidents of the league. All these other guys are, there's a level of comfort about their place in the league. And so, like I said, that can't hurt. Now, we'll see what happens going forward as far as he's concerned because I certainly would like to, you know, I'll be interested to see what he does under the new uh, Boston head coach, Ime Uduka. Ime Uduka, Udoka, I think. Udoka, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need you to see how he's used there. Maybe this is another chance for him to kind of have a coming out party because um, I think the kid deserves it. And just like he deserves this because he's certainly an amazing an amazing kid who, you know, regardless of, you know, whenever this thing ends, he will have another career in something else mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. probably makes him just as much money as he's currently making. Yeah, he and Josh Dobbs both are fine whenever their respective professional careers end. Like, I don't, I don't worry about those two <laughs> having to find work uh, when football and basketball are over for those guys. And that, I mean, that's good. It, having Josh Dobbs and Grant Williams as like two ambassadors of your university and and those respective sports, like that's that's not bad at all. And obviously, the main ambassador of Tennessee in football for the longest time, and still technically even is, you know, he's not active as Peyton Manning. But so ha- having Josh Dobbs and the Grant Williams be two of your biggest known names of those two sports over the last you know five years or so that's not a bad reflection on the university whatsoever uh, but yeah no, congratulations to grant congratulations to ponds I, i've seen where keon and Jaden have been uh playing pretty well here in the summer league as well uh, keon i think still needs to work on his shooting some but he's been showing some other playmaking ability i think he had five offensive boards in the last game i saw i think six assists uh it's springer's come along and he think he had nine Nine, ten, twelve points somewhere around that in, in a game I saw. So, you know, they're they're doing pretty well. I, I think obviously it's summer league and uh, they're playing against guys who are around their same age for the most part, and, and not a lot of guys who are you know established NBA players. But still, this is a step up from competition in college, and they're showing, hey, we we kind of belong here. And obviously, not playing, you know, the same amount of minutes they're playing at Tennessee either. So good for them. I think Jordan Bone has uh, done fairly well also. I haven't seen as much. I think Schofield had like seven rebounds and four assists, but no points in a game. Uh, Alexander has been doing fine in the minutes he's been playing. I haven't seen a ton about Jordan Bowden, um, so I, I try to keep up with, with the Summer League as much as I can. I think Tennessee themselves just put out a story like a few days ago on their Twitter and I think on utathletics.com too about you know keeping up with the guys in the Summer League and, and what they're doing. So keeping up with that's been kind of fun that's going to last here for another few weeks i believe across the different cities and stuff where the summer league is going on so keep up with the the former ball players doing that as well obviously again tobias and josh richardson are not partaking in the nba summer league because they don't have to so they are not doing it um but also hey kudos and congratulations to the uh this is a tennessee related but to the national team for winning the gold at the olympics i did not think that was going to happen gene and here they are hoisting gold and now everyone back home and now uh, <laughs> uh, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green had some very choice words for the haters and the doubters and specifically Kendrick Perkins so that was that was a little interesting to keep up with and see uh, th- those exchanges I think on what it was like Instagram live or something like that where they were yeah. telling tell them to be a real American <laughs> or to be an American yeah. something like that <laughs> it, I mean I don't think there was ever a time I'd like I think what makes it so hard is like 
rule international rules are extremely different. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things you have to get acclimated to. Um, I never thought that they weren't going to win gold. I thought that like most any team that's thrown together like that, it takes a little time for them to mesh. I mean, they got beat early. <laughs> like, yeah, I understand the names, but it's all it's like people feel as though they can just play 2K with a roster and just throw a bunch of people out there. Like, hey, go win championships. The Heat did not win its first year. Uh, like, look at Kentucky basketball in year in, year out, where you throw a bunch of pieces together and they don't actually mesh immediately. Look at last right. year's team. It's horrible. But, like, and to uh, your point, too, like, you had three guys joining kind of mid- I say midway, but basically midway because they were playing in the NBA Finals. <laughs> Devin Booker, yeah, Chris and Middleton, and, uh, yeah, yeah, like, those guys joined midway through the whole thing. And you've got guys there who are, you know, you've got other countries there where their guys, like, come up playing together. Man, Patty Mills, I feel like he played against the Dream Team in 92. Like, it feels like that's how long he's been playing international basketball these Olympics. Um, and he, he had 40-something in a game for Australia. And then you've got guys like Luka, you know, Luka Doncic, and, um, you know, Slovenia. And you've got, like, the Gasol brothers and guys like that. you got Rudy Gobert. Um, but then when you look up and down the rosters, you have teams that have played together for a long time, but they did not have the top-to-bottom sort of talent. You know, I think in the last game, only two guys didn't play for Team USA. I think it was Kelton Johnson, who was one of Pop's guys with the Spurs, and JaVale McGee, who I just love. You know, you start comparing JaVale McGee's career to, like, other people, and you just realize this dude's got three uh, NBA championships and a gold medal. Uh, (laughs) It's just because of what he was. I mean, that dude pretty much made – made a living on Shaqton the Fool earlier in his career, and now here he is, a three-time champion, which I'm pretty sure is just one less than Shaq himself, and I think he has just as many gold medals as Shaq, I think. I could be wrong. I don't, Shaq may not have ever played for the Olympics, but I'm pretty sure he did. Um, he may have played in 96, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like when you, so you look and you're looking at the caliber of players, uh, like yeah, you look. You have a Kevin Durant, um, who is one of the greatest players on earth. Um, I'm trying to think of the other great players I saw. Like I think that you had Durant, uh, you had you know Lillard, mm-hmm. who I think was injured for most of it, and then you start looking around and you've got a lot of guys who are really good with better players. Draymond Green is really good with better players. Uh, you know Devin Booker. I understand how great he looked. In the playoffs, also just kind of, eh, eh. Um, well, like, plus, like we said, like he came in midway through too. Like he wasn't even playing. Like he wasn't practicing with the team over in yeah. in Japan, and yeah. they just joined him cold. I just mean, I just mean, like, yeah. When you throw, you throw a bunch of pieces where, like, you look at these rosters. Um, I get it, Middleton and Holiday, they were not the number one option with the Bucks, mm-hmm. and there's a, still probably ordering Chick-fil-A right now in Milwaukee <laughs> is definitely the man for the Bucks. Uh, but Booker main, main guy, Lillard main guy, Durant 
main guy. There's like four or five like main guys on that team. Tatum, main guy. Mm-hmm. And again, like, whereas these other rosters have like a Luca and nobody else. Gobert, who's not really a guy, you know, who's not really somebody you count on for much other than just defense, um, maybe 10 points a game, uh, which is in the NBA is the equivalent. For, ten, this, for the Tennessee basketball team, it's like averaging seven points a game last year because they couldn't score. I think they only averaged like 70 points a game. Ten points for, in the NBA is not very impressive. It's not. Averaging yeah. ten points is not all that impressive. That's a good point. Not when, I, I've, I haven't thought about it that way, but that's a good point. Not when teams score 115, 120 points. It's, why, it's like it's yeah. one of those things where I never really get – I never really got too wrapped up in – People averaging twenty, you know, twenty points a game. Like when Kevin Love averaged twenty four for the Timberwolves. Like I learned actually, it was Chris Bosh that taught me that because Bosh averaged I think twenty four and ten was one of the most uh, efficient players in the league in Toronto. Then he went to you know went to a good team and he was the third option. You know, Kevin Love became a third option. Like you know, it, it's very easy to score twenty points and get ten rebounds and. That's not fair. That's wrong. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's not a common for a guy to average twenty points and get ten rebounds a game in the NBA because somebody has to score those points and somebody has to grab those rebounds. Like I think in all fast all, all levels of basketball, I'm me Gene Henley. I'm going to I'm going to determine how good you are based on how good your team is. If your team is one of the top five, ten teams in the league and you're averaging 20 points a game, you're a really good basketball player. I don't care about any of that stuff. Nothing else matters. Efficiencies, I don't care about any of that stuff. If you average 22 points a game for a team that is winning like 75, 80% of his games, you're a really good player. And that means you could probably average 30 for a team that may not be as good. Like C. Clay Thompson, guys like that. Um, but I say, let's say you're throwing all of these pieces together. Whereas, you know, Slovenia's only got one of those. Have one or two of these guys, and all of a sudden, you look up and Luis Scola's out there guarding you, who I'm pretty sure is like my age. And Kevin Durant being guarded by like a 38-year-old Luis Scola is not fair. So I never really doubted that they would win it all. I did think it was kind of funny um, when Draymond told Kendrick Perkins to be American because I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure, 100% sure, but I'm thinking that Kendrick may be on vacation because I haven't heard, I haven't seen him mentioned much on on the airwaves here lately. Uh, I haven't seen him running around the airwaves, um, which would be fair because obviously, man, that dude his his second career is better than his first. He says interesting stuff. He's been really good for you know for that network, and as we all find out, um, people don't gravitate as much towards the content on a station like ESPN or Fox Sports as they do the the creators of the content. Like I saw somebody arguing with Shannon Sharp the other day because he basically acted like he didn't care about soccer. He's like, I don't care about it. But you need to be more 
you need to be more informed about the sport or don't talk about it. And he was like, you'll still watch. And it just like, well, I mean, he's kind of, a lot of people will still gravitate to that stuff. But, uh, um, but yeah, again, I, I, I say all that to say I never really doubted um, that they weren't going to win gold. I understand the reason for concern. I also felt like them losing, what, three of their first, like, five games or something like that because mm-hmm. they lost two exhibitions. I think they won two exhibitions and then lost to France. Um, I understand the reasoning, but they also, right when they had kind of picked up a rhythm with the initial group, here comes – you know, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton still smelling like champagne and, you know, Devin Booker smelling like tears. I would have <laughs> loved to have been on that flight. Oh, yeah. Because all three of them were on the same flight. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you know, like they're sitting there with championship caps on, probably still wearing the same clothes from the night before. Then you've got Devin Booker that's just sitting there and, He's probably not even wearing like Suns. He's probably got like he probably looked like Rob Lowe at the Super Bowl, just rocking an NBA T-shirt and some some like umbro sweats from like the nineties or something like like Kent, like Larry Johnson used to wear or something like that. It's just to see the to see the differences there. First of all, if there's older listeners of this podcast, y'all would appreciate that Larry Johnson reference I just made. That great Lamar <laughs> reference was that that was that was key. You would appreciate that, but uh. But yeah, it's just you know I felt like it was going to take a couple games, and they they never really got into a rhythm. But the rhythm that they got into was good enough for them to figure out how to win a gold medal. I will say I was a doubter. I wasn't a hater, but I was a doubter. I, I didn't think they were going to win gold, but I, I was not, surprised and good for them. Not American. I guess I was not a real American. I guess if um, if uh, if well, he's if he's going to go on a, a tirade on Twitter and, and bring up a bunch of old tweets, hopefully he doesn't find mine and I get roasted by people. That's all I gotta I just, say. Yeah, it could be one of Kevin Durant's burners. You never know. He, I think he stopped doing that. He's he's gotten yeah, he's grown. He's grown. No, I'm, I'm he proud had, of Kevin. I don't know if he's grown. He certainly didn't have a filter, which I I do love. Um, Your shirt right now I, for our listeners says "Danger No Filter" on it. By the way, <laughs> I completely forgot about <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, I, well, because I, mean, I, I don't, but I try to temper my I try to temper the best I can. Um, you know, on on these airwaves, but uh, but yeah, no, I look, I, I guess you know he's the guy. He's like, he's figured out this Twitter thing. I can I can tell you that much. Yeah. He figured that thing out because he he literally tweets from Kevin, you know, at what KD Trey Five, uh, with zero filter, or like on Instagram with ET Money Sniper. He's tweeting. I mean, he is posting from these accounts from his name and saying some reckless stuff, and people will look and people eat it up. Yeah, they definitely do. Let's get back to some uh, vol hoop talk here because I think that's what I, I, I enjoyed the tangents. I don't care, but and hopefully people were finding it entertaining and enjoying it. Um, if not, I, I've been doing time codes and stuff in episodes now. So if you want to skip portions, you can skip them. I, I know they work on Spotify. I'm not sure about Apple Podcasts, but I know. I have Spotify and like I can skip around for other podcasts that include timestamps. So if you're if you noticed that if you look in the description, I've been been including time codes in there now. So if you tap on it, it should just take you right to the the section you want to listen to. I don't think I actually had it last week's episode, but I had it in a couple before that. So it's a little thing Vol- I want to help out for our listeners if they want to skip around. Vol fans, it's August, man. We there's plenty of time to break oh, yeah. down 
Tennessee. Let us just go off on these little wild tangents <laughs> that end with like G League invites and all this random stuff. Like, you know, an NBA basketball and Kendrick Perkins. It's August 11th. This time last year, you were trying to figure out if there was going to even be a football season, let alone a basketball. Oh, man. And here's Dale and I were out here trying to do an SEC basketball podcast. Try to figure it out. We're sitting here staring <laughs> at recruiting rankings of Moses Moody and trying to determine exactly. He's going to be pretty good, by the way, <laughs> um, until he gets traded to Philadelphia. But, um, you know, we're out here staring at the recruiting rankings of Moses Moody and Jaden Shackelford and guys like that and trying to determine how good these guys were going to be. I mean, like, let, you know, let your hair down a little bit, man. We've got plenty of time. It's August 11th. We will knock down all of this stuff, and by the time it gets to November, you are going to think that Tennessee is about to go 30, 39-0 and claim a national championship. And so, in a weird twist, Euros Plastic is going to be Final Four MVP. I don't know how it's going to happen, but there's one of you who will convince yourself that he is the X Factor for the season by then if you listen to our podcast. And if you don't give us five stars for our podcast, I'm going to come to your house I'm going to ring your doorbell and I'm going to leave 20 crumble cookies on your doorbell and I'm going to and I'm going to stand there and I'm going to watch you eat them. I'm just going to stare at you. You're not going to be allowed to have any milk or anything. You're just going to eat those cookies and you're going to have to eat all 20 of them because if you know anything about crumble cookies, I'm 6'5 with pretty big hands and I can barely cup one of those cookies in my hands. But I, if you don't give us five stars, I'm going to drive to your house. I'm going to make you eat 20 of those things. And I dare you to fall asleep before you get 20 because I guarantee you're going to want to fall asleep. And I'm not going to let you because you did not give us five stars. Well, there we go. I know what the audiogram for this episode is going to be. It's going to be Gene's threat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's get to some questions here from our listeners. Uh, that was good. That was great. Uh, I love your tangents, Gene. Um, but yeah, let's get to the questions here, listeners. So thank you for those of you who sent them in. Really appreciate it. Uh, we got a couple here. We get the first one from Cosmo Kramer on Twitter, asking if we were hearing anything on Kaysen Wallace and Brandon Miller. Says both would be huge gets. Doesn't like that Kentucky has decided to offer Kaysen Wallace this late. Do you know? I'll turn over you to uh, Brandon Miller in a minute because I know, um, you know you've got to see him play. We've talked about him on this podcast before. But in terms of Case and Wallace, to answer your question, Cosmo Kramer, I agree with you. I don't like the fact that, <laughs> from a Tennessee perspective, that Kentucky has jumped in this late. And it, it, it seems like, I think he's, if I remember if it's him correctly or not, I believe he's one of the guys that has said before that Kentucky was growing up as a, a, a dream school of his or, you know, it's a, a school that he's always had his eye on, which if you're really good in basketball, that's going to be the case. They're a blue blood. You know, you're going to look at the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Kentuckys, the... Well, I'm trying. I almost said UCLA. That's not. That's not the case anymore. But you all get what I'm saying. Kansas, I guess Louisville's probably uh, Villanova, Gonzaga. Like you're, you're going to see those names. And those are going to be the big names you're going to think of. Uh, even Ohio State and Michigan State and Michigan and and men's basketball are, are big time names and big time programs you're going to think of if you're a really good player, um, a really good high school and even before high school, really good elementary middle school basketball player. But Tennessee's been on him for a while, and he has a really good relationship with Rod Clark, and that's what Tennessee has been, you know, the separator for a while. But then Kentucky comes in with a late offer, and it seems like it, there's been a lot of different conflicting talks about this, but just different things I'd seen from different Kentucky writers and 
media people that it seems like Kentucky is only going to take one of either Casey Wallace or um, Nick Smith, I believe. I, I, gosh, it's such a generic name that I hope I'm not getting it wrong. Um, but it was Nick Smith, who Tennessee also recently offered, but then he released like a top eight or something like that and didn't have Tennessee in it. So it, you know, wasn't like his Tennessee's offer did a whole lot there. But it seems like the thought is that Kentucky won't take both, but they'll take one or the other. And it's just kind of a matter of maybe who pulls the trigger first, maybe who they like the most. Cause it, it does seem like it's, if, if I'm, if I'm Tennessee, like Vol fans, I'm thinking, Hey, Tennessee was in on this kid for the longest time. Shouldn't Casey Wallace be like, you know, shouldn't he be offended or upset or whatever that it, it took Kentucky so long to finally offer him and really start showing interest. But you also got to think at the same time, like he's been interested in Kentucky for a long time. It's not like they haven't been talking to him. I don't think they, they have just now offered recently, but he still was talking to coaches and stuff. Um, I, I don't think that it was yeah Nick Smith that that is his name sorry um, it's not like it's not like all of a sudden they just come out of the blue we're like oh we're just not going to pay attention to you here's an offer we, they've been talking I just think they haven't offered until maybe they get different intel on a guy they're targeting and they don't feel as good but Kentucky's recruiting class in this 22 cycle surprise is going to be really good or, or at least on paper going to be really good they already have a couple of guys I think in the boat in that 22 class right now for them but for for Wallace he's one of Tennessee's top targets. And yeah, I agree with you, Cosmo Kramer. I'm not a, you know, looking at it from Tennessee perspective, I wouldn't be a huge fan at all of of the fact that Kentucky has come in here late and seems like they've grabbed a lot of momentum. But I will say, it looks like he's planning to take an official visit uh, to Kentucky, I think sometime at the end of this month, but I don't think a date's been finalized just yet. Um, but I also think that Nick Smith at the same time is going to be taking an official visit right around the same time. Again, most of the people that I've seen that are UK guys or UK writers or whatever have said that they only expect Kentucky's going to get one of the two, like Smith or Wallace, and they don't think that they will take both. But it does seem like Kentucky likes Wallace more. So I don't know. It's it's in basketball like this, and Gene, you and I have talked about it um, maybe even as recently as last episode. You know, Tennessee isn't like these schools that can come in and, and swoop in and offer a five-star light and think that they can suddenly just change the momentum of, of a recruitment. Programs like Kentucky, they can do that. They legitimately, again, like I, I think they've been talking to Wallace and like they have been ignoring him completely and just now offered and just now showing him attention. They've, they've been talking to him and have a relationship with him and they've just now offered, but they are one of the like, you know, six-ish, probably seven, you know, somewhere, a, a small handful of programs in men's basketball that can come in to recruitment a little bit later than other programs and offer and swoop in and steal a kid. Like that, you know, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, those are the four programs I'd immediately say they can come in and do that. And there's you know probably a handful of others that, that could, but those are the four that immediately spring to my mind that can do that. And you know it, it's worth watching. I, I don't think Tennessee's out of it by any means. I think they're right there. It's Tennessee, Kentucky, I would have to say probably, if I had to bank on it, those are the top two for, for Wallace right now. He hasn't released any sort of top five, top whatever um, recently that I, can, that I can see or anything like that. But I think Tennessee, Kentucky are his top two and the, the two teams that are, I guess, the two-horse race for him right now. So, again, he's a five-star from Texas. I don't know if I mentioned that at the beginning or not, but he's, he's definitely one of Tennessee's top targets in this 22 cycle, and it would be a it would be a sting if Tennessee loses out on him, especially because they would be losing out to Kentucky, who is <laughs> your biggest rival in a team you play twice a year, maybe sometimes three times a year if you are if you end up playing in the SEC tournament, too. So it'd be a sting, no, no doubt, but Tennessee also still has other targets on the board 
like a, a Jalen Hood Shafino um, and several other. I mean, that's just the first one that popped in my head because they are sort of in the same position in terms of, or in the, kind of also close to the same ranking category on most recruiting sites too. But Tennessee's still going to have, a, I think, a pretty darn good 22 recruiting class. But, you know, can't you can't count Kentucky at any point. If they come in and offer a kid, um, not great for Tennessee. So we'll see. Keep an eye on that one. I'd I, I appreciate you bringing that up, Cosmo Kramer. I was going to bring it up anyway if someone didn't ask about it, so I'm glad you asked about it, though. Uh, for Brandon Miller, though, Gene, that's an interesting one that you and I were talking about um, before we hit record here because he released uh, – speaking, actually, of Jalen hood Shafino, he released a top five over the weekend, I think on, on Friday or something like that, or maybe late Thursday – but he had a top five on his Instagram. Tennessee made it along with Memphis, Texas, Indiana, and Florida. So that was his top five. Um, pretty good top five there. And and Tennessee, I think, is in a pretty decent spot with him. I don't know that there's really like a favorite necessarily, but uh, Memphis has been killing it and recruiting lately. And, of course, Tennessee has two, but Memphis has been landing some big-time names uh, <laughs> in men's basketball recently. So Penny is... Penny stayed there and hired Larry Brown, and all of a sudden they're landing, you know, even more elite recruits there. Uh, but to get back to to uh, Brandon Miller here, he had his top eight um, last week as well. A five-star in-state prospect, you know, he plays here in the state of Tennessee, the number one recruit in the state of Tennessee, and Gene has seen him play, and we've talked about him on this podcast before. Uh, but he had top eight of college programs and professional programs. Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Kansas, Florida, and Interestingly enough, Tennessee State uh, was his top six, his top six like college programs. And then he had the NBA G League and the NBL, which is over in Australia. So he had six collegiate programs, two professional programs in his top eight. So it looks like, you know, he's thinking like some of his other high profile um, high school kids that, hey, maybe I'll go play overseas or play in the G League or, or play professionally for a little bit and then go into the NBA or, 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 you know, take that route rather than going to college. I'll be interested to see just as a totally aside, Gene, I'd be interested to see how many of those guys continue to do that now with the um, name, image, likeness stuff in college, because I think they have a chance, obviously, to make some money that way. These, these big, high-profile guys, they don't have they don't have to go to overseas or, or, you know, to some professional route to make money um, before they go into the, try to get to the NBA. They can actually make money in college, and in some cases, I think college might be a better uh, <laughs> better developer of, of their talent, depending on which program they go to, than some of those uh, places overseas and stuff. But Brandon Miller, that was another one that Cosmo Kramer asked about. I don't, I don't know, like I don't, I don't have as good of a feel in his his recruitment or anything like that. I think it was mentioned in a Kentucky Rivals um, website that he's going to be visiting Florida and Kansas sometime soon because he hasn't visited those schools yet. Uh, he's talked about possibly revisiting Tennessee and possibly revisiting Kentucky. But at this point, um, those are the kind of the tentative visit plans. And I think after those visits, if he does all that, he want to trim down to a final three and also apparently targeting an, a November decision date and wanting to sign earlier, which is interesting because I think uh, of Rob Lewis of all has mentioned a couple of times that he thinks Brandon Miller is a guy who is probably going to wait until spring. But, if that's the case, and maybe signing until fall, he could still go do the pro route coming in spring. You know, that's not binding, and the the signing the the, the team is not binding until I can't remember what the actual cutoff date is. But you can you can you know be with the team in fall and then still not end up being part of the class. So, Gene, I I don't know if you have anything else you want to add about Brandon Miller, but he's an interesting one to me because I think there is a legit chance he could go pro. I don't think it's nearly as high as like a you know 
and Imani Bates who just released his top five or whatever and it was like three, it was basically half and half I think it was like top six I think it was three were like pro- professional route and three were collegiate route so like I, I don't think it's nearly to the same degree as some of those guys like that but I think it. I think it is a, a legit option he's thinking about, obviously, and that he could legitimately pursue if he wanted to, rather than going to college. Yeah. Um, one thing like that has to be taken into consideration now is the reality of you know we've talked we talked about this in recent weeks, but you know the NIL, um, mm-hmm. how that plays a factor now because. You know, it certainly doesn't hurt that, uh, you know, when, when you look and see that Jalen Duran is going to Memphis and, you know, we'll see what happens with Imani Bates. I think he ends up at Memphis as well. Um, that Memphis basketball has a pretty nice little setup with uh, FedEx. I don't know if that's, that could just be for, I mean, that could just be for the podcast listeners, whatever. Um but I think that's kind of, I think it's kind of out there, um, and I'm pretty sure that's what helped get a guy like Duran. But uh, you know, like I'm, I'm looking here at list, you know, the Smith kid that you know you were talking about earlier. Um, you know, his he's looking at maybe going to to visit Kentucky on the weekend of September second, uh, the first game. Uh, his you know his final list. He has NBL and overtime elite. Um, Brandon Miller has you know G League and NBL. Uh, I think Australia has certainly shown that they could they present a certain quality of basketball. Um, and you know, and I think that's attractive uh, to a lot of kids. But the fact that you know you can now kind of profit off of yourself, your not your own name, image, and likeness, which look it is nice. But one thing I heard and actually I thought about this, and it makes a lot of sense. It's not like the NCAA really did anything. They just basically said, "Here, well, we just won't you know penalize you for getting sponsored." It still ends up being about the kids and their marketability and all this that, and the other but that's neither here nor there um you know i think you know like i said to the, the guy that had asked obviously uh the guy that asked about these two guys um wallace you know you look at wallace and smith are kind of similar what i find interesting about both of them is that they're both six four um and are the question you have to ask is are they that much better than the guys you already have i understand that they are you know i understand that they are five star recruits i completely understand that but so is mayshack and last time i checked he's like six four um and if you think that that kid's going to be a good player, look, the fact of the matter is he was. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. I thought he was a five-star. Maybe he was four. I, I don't know. I don't think it matters. Like, he was a top 35, top 40 player in the country. Um, is he that – are these kids that much better? 
because I don't really know the answer to that. Otherwise, I wonder why you bring in one. You bring in Case and Wallace, who's a six-four guard, to go along with a six-four guard when neither have shown that they could be a point guard. I don't know. That's just, that's a roster. That's a roster construction question more than anything else. Um, that's in the here and the there. Um, as far as Brandon Miller, you never really know what's ex- you know, when it comes to any of these kids, like everybody lists Tennessee State now. Everybody does. One of the guys I played high school basketball with, his son will be a freshman at Tennessee State this year. And that kid's already got a sponsorship with the company uh, based out of Cleveland, but the guy lives in L.A. now. Uh, Master P's son has a sponsorship. You know, pretty convenient, you know, but... He does have a sponsorship. And so what I'm intrigued about going forward is how do some of these schools like Memphis, like Tennessee State, like Michigan, so on and so forth, guys who have, you know, programs that are coached by former pros who are connected, how is that going to affect recruiting? Because Michigan had the number one class in the country this year. Maybe not. I don't know. If, I don't. I don't think Tomba changed anything. I, I'm pretty. I, I think I saw Tennessee was finished number two. Yeah, I think I they th- slid, they were like three, kind of. A, I think they, okay. that solidified them as two. But yeah, that's okay. It. But and but you know, Michigan before NIL became a thing, Michigan had the number one class in the country, and everybody loves Jawan Howard. NBA, college. He's a good dude. He's got the Fab Five stuff. That is that is begging for sponsorships everywhere. Begging for it. Penny, say what you want about the guy. You know, he's Penny in Memphis. You know, <laughs> that's almost unfair. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Stackhouse and, and Vanderbilt. I'm not sure. That's That's a much more difficult sell. Um, he doesn't have any natural ties to Nashville. It's Vanderbilt. So I think that becomes an issue. But I say all that to say, I mean, like, you know, these programs, um, you know, heck, Penny Smith, who's the head coach at uh, Tennessee State, dude's connected, man. And you've got a guy like Master P in the program, let's say, basically. But, I, I mean, it's inter- it'll be interesting to see what happens with basketball recruiting over the next like three to five years because like the G League kind of got a you know the, the you know the G League they struck the first blow by just by being formed and becoming a more you know a, a better route to some kids um, for the next level and I've seen Jalen Green play a couple games in summer league and he looks the part but I mean after playing against G League pros you're now going up against you know these summer league guys and that's a step down in competition you know so for Jalen Green yeah he didn't get the marketability but really I feel like that's something that a lot of people want to be a big deal that's not really all that big of a deal like man Jalen I mean Jalen Suggs did not did not get signed any higher 
you know, because of his NCAA tournament run. He was always going to be what he was. Um, Kate Cunningham barely made this. Did they even make the tournament? I'm pretty sure they did. They they got beaten like the second round. Uh, uh, yeah, because I think I was surprised with how early they got beat. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't anything around him at Oklahoma State. But that didn't really hurt him. I'm saying, like I said to say, like, I feel like that stuff gets blown out of proportion that, man, March Madness, like, that's a lot of college basketball writers that are just really trying to just hold on to the sanctity of the sport. And I'm like, it's not that anymore. It's still an amazing sport. That's kind of why I hope that while you see all the potential, potential like splintering of, you know, like power fives away, you kind of hope that doesn't affect basketball because Gonzaga exists, because Xavier exists, because some of these mid-level, I mean, mid-majors that are really, really good basketball programs, top 10, top 15 programs in the country, historically, like basketball's not football. Um, and that is a special tournament. Um, but I don't think it really does a, an awful lot to help the marketability. Luke Garza was national player of the year and he barely got drafted. Um, it doesn't help or hurt. And, I, and what I'm saying is there's now more opportunities for kids to develop. Kids are leaving college and going to the professional leagues more you know more prepared because they're starting younger they're start they're getting into colleges more prepared they're now getting into the league more prepared um and so like there's so many options and so when i see i mean kind of bringing this back to where it was so when you see you know the list of schools that brandon miller has and you see tennessee state there i don't simply think that he's just putting that there just to, well, you know, let me give a tip of the cap to the hometown team. I think that you now have an option now to look at that. And that's, you know, why leave home? I can play at a school. Uh, don't necessarily have to worry about all these crazy crowds and people and all this, that, and the other. We'll play a national schedule because obviously people will want to come see me play. Um, or I could go to Tennessee or Kentucky or Bama or Florida and Kansas. A lot of SEC love there. Um, you know, he has options. And so when you see it, it's hard to figure out exactly if he has a type. It's hard to determine, is he, is that really, you know, does he know? I don't know if he knows. Yeah. I have a clue. Like it's and and to your point about, about Tennessee State, too, it, it, and not only that, it's also an HBCU, which I think that you've seen a lot of different athletes in both football and basketball like making HBCUs like more of a like emphasis in their recruitment and stuff too yes it's a groundswell bowl bowl uh no not bowl bowl but I better talk about (laughs) I cannot think of the guy's name um Howard basketball um yeah right right but uh yeah but anyway I'm sorry I completely forgot the kid's name I'm oh, make, trying to find it. Yeah, make, that's what it was. Maker, maker. Yep, five star. Uh, yeah, yeah. But when you start to see it, uh, like it is, you know, there, there's a groundswell of support going there at a lot of different places. Only certain schools, like you know, Howard doesn't put like all those schools 
that, well, that's important for a lot of HBCUs because, you know, they have amazing alumni base, but their alumni athletics bases are very small. It's not like there are a ton. Um, there are a ton of like former great basketball prospects that went to HBCUs, and so when you're seeing that, I think that's why. Um, I think that's why it's so special to see there. And maybe some stuff happens. Some, you know, maybe it starts happening more. Um, I certainly see that kids are really trying to make that a possibility. You know, they're trying to do their part there, which I think is very, very. It's it's great to see. But and, and anyway, like also guys like Deion Sanders in football, who head coach there, which again that's bringing attention to the school he's at too. That ain't gonna last. Uh, I don't think so either. But <laughs> man, man. I, I, I had a feeling it was maybe I'm wrong, and obviously we're way off track. This is not basketball, but pretty sure Dion played in a I don't know a pickup basketball game. So we, I don't know he he played in a pickup basketball game some point in his life, or in a celebrity basketball game some point in his life. So we can just hide in, but uh, I don't see that lasting. I don't see it lasting very much longer. But it's not to mention the fact that. I don't see him as a builder. I think you have to build at that point. But he's got like 25 transfers. But anyways, you know, the Miller stuff is interesting. Um, Nick Smith seems a little more grounded. He's he's actually not, I mean, him not being smack dab in the middle of Nashville or an area that has an HBCU, it's a little different because his are more, you know, Kentucky, Bama, Auburn, Oklahoma, Arkansas. I know he doesn't count towards what we're talking about. We're talking more Casey Wallace and stuff, but um, yeah, everything I read, the Kentucky thing really put a really hurt Tennessee there. Um, some stuff that I read maybe a couple weeks ago, the Kentucky, you know, the Kentucky commitment, um, yeah, the Kentucky offer really hurt things because I, you know, everything I gathered Tennessee was in pretty good shape of getting the kid. Uh, they still may end up getting the kid and. You know, maybe Kentucky has a lot of ground to make up. I don't know, but the, when a kid says that he was hoping for a particular offer, that's usually not good. Yeah, you know, it's usually not good news for the other schools that are there, because it's just a matter of time. And especially at a school like Kentucky, where I don't know what if they have a specific sponsor, but if they can have that person around for that official visit to talk about. Why monetarily that would be a good decision to make? Uh, it's, obviously, to it's obviously, it's obviously Kroger, Gene Kroger Field yeah, for yeah. <laughs> the football team. Yeah, I mean, good point. Um, <sighs> but like, I, I don't know, because obviously, like, if you're Louisville, you've got well, heck, the dude, he's just he was like showing up at Kentucky games a while back. Uh, uh, the, uh, yeah, the Kentucky. Uh, like the Louisville Papa John's guy. Oh yeah. Like, but then he was like, John... yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I'm not sure if there's a specific guy, but um, if they have a specific sponsor, but like, that's what Tennessee, I think, is aspiring to be, is to have the marketability for its basketball players that like a Kentucky can have. I mean, Kentucky and Duke, Carolina. You know, but they've got so much ground to make up, and my God, they got to get to at least the Final Four. Um, they do, like just yeah, they do. 
to add to the marketability going forward of their programs because they can brag about their three the three or four years of having really good recruiting and basketball programs are still kind of just patting you on the head and saying that's cute and I don't mean that negative I'm just being honest like mm-hmm. like they like they are killing it in recruiting and they're getting a bunch of high level players that are wanting to go play at the program they're getting first round draft picks they're having drafts where three guys are getting signed I don't care about the level of the contract they had four guys signed a couple years ago I don't care about what the rankings were that seven guys in two drafts in the last three years. That stuff does have a purpose. You can sell that, but to get these kids to come, you know, especially when other bigger programs, if you're the, the, the schools you're recruiting against, they have the ability to sell some marketing stuff that you can't sell yet. You can't. John Folks yeah. got a very specific sponsorship. <laughs> yes. Um, I love it for him, but yeah, you're right. That's not like no one else on the team is going to get a, a Powell sponsorship. Yeah, it's not like the Powell's thing. It's like, all right, who's next up? Who who wants this Powell's thing? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe. Well, no. Uh, I mean, BJ Edwards has some ties up there. Maybe it worked. Somebody like him, because um, I think he's from Johnson City initially. So maybe him, but I mean, he he's also not going to be around long enough to where people can learn that he loves Powell's. I don't know. Maybe like. You know, Mike Wilson or Grant Ramey or those guys can kind of talk to BJ about, hey, man, you spent some time in Johnson City. Did you, you love Powell's growing up? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> Went to middle school up there. Um, shout out to those guys. They do really good work, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. And, but, like, yeah, I mean, Duke and Carolina and Kansas and, you know, Kentucky, they have, they have something there that, you don't have yet and now that this whole nil thing is a factor will you have the ability to market your program with the sorts of perks and sponsorships and marketability that is necessary because that's going to be a big part of it um and like i said if they have some success on the court not individually, but they start making it towards, you know, postseason runs and stuff. Then I think you start getting the marketability to where you now have more of a leg to stand on when you walk into these homes, going up against the people that you're now going up against and recruiting. I'll get to the last question here, but I just happened to see that Gr Smith was trending on Twitter. It's because he's enrolling at North Carolina A and T State University to pursue a degree in liberal studies. And is waiting on the NCAA to sort out his eligibility so he can join the Aggies golf team. Yeah, A and T. There's A&T, your A and T. Yeah, there's your there's your random uh, J R Smith update. No, you said you said state. I got I got to give a shout out to the Aggies. That it's North Carolina A and T. Oh, that's what Adam Schefter said. He said North Carolina A and T State University. <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, Adam Schefter out here making mistakes. Yeah, he's messing it up. Um, it's unless something has changed very recently. Um. <laughs> That's N C A N T. Uh North Carolina A N T, I'm sorry. Uh te- yeah, I guess technically. They go by N C North Carolina A N T. Like yeah, I, I remember them. Yeah. I see they I see on their website they slapped on the state. Um but I don't know. Yeah. There's a gal on Twitter. Um 
uh, he's a popular follow. His name he goes on on Twitter. His name is Dragonfly Jones. He is a North Carolina A and T alum. Um, if anybody has seen his Twitter, it's hilarious. Uh, recommend following. I think he does a podcast. Uh, he did one. I don't. Uh, Jones and Jenkins. I think he they they do good work. But uh, but yeah, no. Uh, that's I, I saw that earlier in the day. PGA Golf tweeted at J.R. Smith. It's been a day, yep. for man. Uh, hey, shout know. out to A and T. They were actually pretty good this past year. They won the conference championship in the regular season. Didn't win the tournament, so they didn't, didn't make it the NCAA tournament. But they were pretty good this past year. And I, I knew their name because I remember them. They made the uh, the NCAA tournament in 2013, and, and they won their first ever uh, postseason game that year too. They defeated Liberty, so I think that's all right. Yeah, 2013. Yeah, so I, I remember them actually from like almost 10 years ago making the NCAA tournament and winning a game, beating Liberty, and then getting destroyed by Louisville in the next round. But Or the first four, they beat Liberty, and then they got beat by number one seed, Louisville. So, yeah, shout-out to both J.R. Smith and North Carolina A&T for this episode. This has been an interesting episode for some tangents here. But for the last question uh, by Sam Smith, which I thought was an interesting one because it it was, to me, a question, a question is interesting if I can't immediately, within, like, five seconds, ten seconds, think of an answer. Uh, so this one's interesting to me. Sam Smith asked, Tennessee is in a tie game slash one score game. Who gets the last shot and why? I'm going to open it up to both the Vols and Lady Vols, even though I think Lady Vols is a pretty cut and dry answer. I, I think it's Ray Burrell. But for the men's team, I thought that was interesting, Gene, because it, you think back you know, a couple years ago, I, to me the obvious answer is Monte Turner, but also I, I could see you know, three or four years ago, Admiral Schofield, that's another guy I would trust late in games. Those are two like guys I would trust taking late shots in games. Right now, I don't know that you have like a, a stone-cold killer as a shooter you know, late in games. I, I mean, you, your most consistent three-point guy, if it's a, a three-point game or a two-point game you want to take the lead or whatever, then like the most consistent shooter Tennessee has right now is Santiago Vescovi. I guess maybe you could see Justin Powell, but you know, again, we we only saw him play ten games last year before he got hurt and missed the rest of the year. So I don't know that that's not a, a huge sample size, and he hasn't played at Tennessee. Vescovi's at least played the last year and a half or season and a half at Tennessee, and he's been a really consistent three point shooter. And I think he could be even better this year in more of an off ball role. So he was the first one that came to my head, but also I mean, like Victor Bailey, not a bad three point shooter. I think he can improve this year too. We also have the chance of if it's like a, a two-point game or if it's a tie game, do you dump it down low to John Fulkerson? Because he's, I mean, pretty consistent guy down in the paint there. Not obviously as consistent as as Grant, but I remember a few years ago with when when Fulkerson was healthiest, when he was healthy and was playing really well uh, a couple years ago. Obviously that team wasn't great, but I remember him pulling off the spin moves and doing the stuff that in the paint that uh, the little washing machine spin that Grant Williams did, and Fulkerson was kind of imitating it and doing a good job of it and and especially that 27 point performance he had against Kentucky like so to me like there's really two guys that would circle and they'd be Viscovi and then if it's a tie game and you're and you have the opportunity to to dump it down low and and you and you trust Forkerson especially if he's healthy like he's the other guy I would trust but I mean like there isn't really a cut and dry like I trust this guy in a clutch clutch situation on the men's team maybe Kenny Chandler but again he's a true freshman like I don't I'd have to see it before I would believe it and before I would trust him. I don't think Josiah Jordan James is a guy. I think he's the guy who could get the assist on the game-winning shot, but I don't trust him to take the game-winning shot. Uh, and there's no one else on the roster. Like I said, maybe Powell, but there's there's no one else on the roster besides Viscovi and Bailey that I would want shooting a three right now based off what I know about them. Um, 
to you know tie a game or to win a game late. Again, women's side, I think it's Ray Burrell, and I don't know that I would choose anyone else. Maybe Jordan Horston, but it's probably Ray Burrell. I don't. I, again, I don't know that I would choose anyone else on the Lady Vols team that I want. I would want with the ball in their hands late in the game for a a game-winning shot. So. I, I assume it's, you'll probably choose Lady Vols too, Gene, so I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on the, the men's side too because, again, I don't know there's a whole lot more breaking down the women's side because it's it's pretty easy for me. That's who I'd want is Ray Burrell because um, obviously um, Renai Davis is no longer on the team. So and maybe maybe Tamari Key. Again, it depends on the situation. Like I said with Fulkerson, if you dump it down low, and I, I trust Tamari more than I do any of the other post players Tennessee Lady Vols have, but I'd still go Ray. And then for the men's side, Probably Viscovi, but again, like it's not a cut and dry answer to me. Like that's that's a that's a really good question by Sam. So, let let me, let me figure this out real quick. I, I don't think that I would go too far away. Um, I think I'm probably on the same wavelength you are in terms of uh, on the women's side. I think Ray Burrell is probably your answer. But the men's side, obviously, I think there's a lot of it, it. There are there are some situations there, but there's people there too. Um, my first choice would be Victor Bailey, and here's why: because you have to have a kid who's not afraid of the moment. Like it was nobody ever thought that Lamonte Turner was the best shooter on the team, but everybody knew that he was never afraid of that moment. He was never afraid of failing. And if you're going to, the person who shoots the last shot cannot be afraid of missing the last shot. I vaguely remember, I think it may have been the Kentucky game in the SEC tournament uh, the year I was covering. So that would have been 2019, um, where he said, You cannot be afraid of missing that shot in that moment. And so why I bring up Bailey is um, he's a guy who is not great at getting to the basket, but he can. He's not great at shooting the three, but he can. He started the year off pretty well last year. Um, then I think the team, I mean, like people can point to whoever they want to, but the team kind of started sliding the back part of the season. And for efforts and performances, and look, man, we everybody is willing to yell about Fulkerson's, you know, like having COVID and stuff, but not many. body we didn't extend the potential of any courtesies to anybody else uh, that they may have been dealing with stuff. Like last year was last basketball season was a very trying one for a lot of kids, not specifically on Tennessee, but all across the country, because like. You're, you're being kept in your room all the time. People who, kids who are otherwise sociable can't be, so, you know, can't socialize because they have to go to their room. A lot of kids go, dealing with a lot of stuff mentally there. And you just never know how these kids be, may be affected or when it may have just become too much for them um, or whatever. And... Um, so when I when I look at this year, when I look at a kid like Bailey, I look at a kid who's played in ter- I mean played in big games, played for Oregon in the NCAA tournament, and played for Texas, Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. Um, he he shoots eighty three percent from the line. 
basically shot about 90%, you know, at Oregon. 87 as a freshman, 91 as a sophomore. It's a kid that can knock down, let me see, that's 88 of 99, so 89% from the free throw line coming to Tennessee. So that's a kid who, if he gets fouled, can knock big shots down. Um, like I said, he shoots 30, he shot, for his career, he shot 37% from three. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get the ball in the hands of a kid who's not afraid of that moment. Um, can he create? Like, obviously, I think you start with maybe getting the ball to a Chandler and find a way to create for somebody like Bailey. Like, and of course, this is my August answer. You see some more games, you get some more context, you see how the team and the broad, you see how the team is playing together. That answer may change. But right now, I always say Victor Bailey because he seems to be the one person who I know in that moment is just feels to me to be the most fearless player. I'd say Vescovi would be a pretty good answer there as well. Um, if I'm going to the basket, I mean, Josiah James seems like he's a pretty solid free throw shooter now. He seems like a guy who could create a mismatch to where he can get to the basket and maybe make a couple shots, make a couple foul shots with the game on the line. But those are the things that kind of have to matter there. Yeah, I mean, uh, wow. Josiah Jordan James, 35 of 45 from the free throw line both years. Um, (laughs) And so, like, you have to have a kid because in that moment, it's a good chance you get fouled. Yeah. You know, like, there have been so many players at all levels that have, you know, everybody wants to shoot the walk-off three and, you know, and, and, you know, impose if they make it or whatever when they make it because a lot of kids, a lot of people are afraid to go up to that free throw line with the game on the line. Something, you can't be afraid of that. Uh, and so Tennessee seems to have some some pretty good options in terms of shooting foul shots to where these guys, if you put them in that situation, they can knock them down. I'd almost prefer for it to not be a freshman, but if you got look, if Chandler's who you think he is, put the ball in his hands and let him go. I just know if I'm having to draw up a play, it seems like Bailey would be my first option, uh, just because I feel like if I need a three, he's the person who seems the least fearless to take that shot. Um, and otherwise, I'm sticking with. Uh, I'm keeping the ball in the hands of Chandler and letting him create something. I don't really see a lot of situations. I understand Tennessee likes to put the ball into the post. It just seems, God, it just seems like it's a, watching as much AAU basketball as I watched this summer just seems like such an inefficient way of playing basketball now to just throw the ball into the post and let a guy like work like it's 1997 or something. Just seems inefficient. Um, but they have good options. I'll say that much. They've got well, they've got one, they've got one really good option down there um, in Falkerson, and yeah, we'll see what else they've got. But yeah, I, I would I would go Bailey one, uh, Chandler two, and you know maybe just put the ball in Chandler's hands and let him create something for somebody else because maybe maybe in a last second situation you somehow get Chandler attacking the basket and you know dumping it off to Falkerson for a game winning dunk. And not much more of a high percentage shot than a Fulkerson dunk because I don't think I've seen him miss one in his 17 years at Tennessee. Uh, yeah, I don't think he has. <laughs> it's it, plus it's hard to miss a dunk, but yeah, you you can see it happen. Um, yeah, I think it's a good point about Kenny Chandler being a creator too, and 
like you said, having a guy who's fearless and driving at the basket. And that, to me, while I picked Vescovi, I think you're spot on about Bailey because he showed, I mean, even when he's on a slump, wasn't afraid to shoot it. There was only a, a three-bucket um, difference in, in terms of three-point field goals attempted difference between Vescovi and Bailey. But you look at the overall just shot selection in general, Bailey took, like, over double the amount of two-point field goal attempts that, that Vescovi did, and he did this in, like, 120 less minutes in the season. So 142 three-point attempts by Vescovi, 139 by Bailey. Again, that was with 120 less minutes for Bailey on the season. And in those 120 less minutes, he also attempted 15 more free throws than Vescovi. So to your point there too, Gene, he attacked the basketball. Vescovi was more of a – he isn't athletic and quick enough to get by his guy to go attack in the paint. And when he oftentimes when he tried to go in the paint – you would see him a lot of times dish it back out uh, to someone else, or you know, pass it, or just do something, even even turn it over if he just was out of control there. But to your point there, I mean, you, you made a good point. I thought about Bailey that he wasn't afraid to take a shot and wasn't afraid to go in the lane. He took 100, 102 two point attempts compared to one hundred thirty nine three point attempts, as opposed to uh, Vescovi who had one hundred forty two three point attempts and only forty one two point field goal attempts. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really good point. 49 free throw attempts by Vescovi, 64 for Bailey. And they both are pretty similar um, percentage-wise from free throw line. Bailey was a little better, almost 83%. Vescovi, 81.6. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and that almost makes me change my mind to Bailey. But I, I still think I'd go Vescovi. But it, that's, again, it's situational. Um, it's not just like... If, it, if, it, if it's being passed around and, and he's able to get open himself and Vescovi's just like able to get open and sitting there waiting for the ball, yeah. If it's asking to create your own shot, maybe Kennedy Chandler, but also I think Bailey can do a better job of creating his own shot than Vescovi can because, again, Vescovi's limited athletically of what he can do. Not like he's a you know the most unathletic person ever, but he's not as gifted athletically as a Jordan Bone or as a, a Keon Johnson or a Jaden Springer were um, from last year or a couple years ago either. So, um, yeah, I think that that's a good point. I think Kenny Chandler should be in your top two, top three consideration in this situation because, again, like you said, if he's <laughs> if he's what you expect him to be, he, he, he should be in that, that spot. So that thought was a really good question. I uh, wanted to bring it up. So thank you to, again to Cosmo Kramer and Sam Smith on Twitter for asking those questions. And if you want to interact with us and ask us any question for a future podcast, it doesn't have to be a mailbag episode. It can be whenever, just whatever you want to. That's at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter. You can also shoot us a message or leave a comment on a post on Facebook, Vol Basketball Fever on there. Well, I think that'll do it here for the episode. End of the show here. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Leave us a review. Subscribe today if you haven't already. We really appreciate you. If this is your first time, if this is your second time, if this is your 20th time, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Share the show. Let us know you're here. And signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode.